Lord Jesus, thank you that it is the year of Jubilee. Lord God, that you have declared and proclaimed your favor and your goodness, your salvation, your grace over your people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We receive now with joy and gladness that which is in your heart for us. Lord, we bless your name today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Jim. I have the privilege of serving here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. I celebrated in April my 25th year here, so I've been around a while now, and uh, glad to be here. Yes, indeed. This morning, I do feel a little volatile in the spirit. I just sense the nearness of God. And the message that I have to bring to us this morning is unusual and I'm going to present it in a way different than I typically present the word of the Lord, but it is congruent with what the passage brings to us. And we're continuing our study for those of you that have been around and those of you visiting with us on Uh, The title of the study is Follow Me, and we're looking through um, Matthew chapters 8 through 12. Matthew 8 through 12. Focusing on that portion of the gospel. We have been in the gospel of Matthew since um, last Advent. Uh, And as I remind us many times, and it would be uh, particularly... Uh, true again this morning, is that when we come to the Gospels, we're not simply coming to dry, dusty pages of history. Um, The Bible says that in the Gospel, there is the very presence and power of the living God. And as it says in Isaiah, uh, the Lord lives in a high and lofty place, but also with those who are humble and contrite of heart and who tremble at his word. So I know that this morning I find myself trembling at his word, and perhaps you will be joining me in that as well. We're going to be looking at today Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, the uh, verses 1 through 30, actually, verses 1 through 30, Matthew 11, verses 1 through 30. And I'm going to share with us about this issue of expectation and reality. Expectation and reality. Some of you know Pastor Steve Rasmussen, who, uh, Dr. Steve Rasmussen, who is a um, who is a member of our congregation, who, who along with his family have served now as missionaries in Africa for a couple of decades. And um, Dr. Steve told me something many years ago, which I've never forgotten. And what he shared with me is this, that the difference, the distance between expectation and reality is the measure of disappointment. The distance between expectation and reality is the measure of disappointment. And I would, 
I would add to that a couple of extra words that I would go along with that as well. The difference between expectation and reality comprises disappointment. It also creates doubt and disillusionment in our souls. When we are operating with a certain expectation and the reality is different than that expectation, the distance between that is often the measure of our disappointment, our doubt, our discouragement, and even perhaps our disillusionment. So again, if you have your Bible, turn with me now to Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to be walking through this passage together and asking ourselves some penetrating questions which I believe the Lord would have for us today. Matthew 11, let's start with the first six verses. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went out from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So last week we looked at chapter 10 and Jesus sending out his disciples on mission. So he's finished instructing them now and he's going on from there to preach and teach in the towns of Galilee. Now, when John, verse 2, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Listen again to that question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now think about it for a moment because what we've got here is we have a distance between John the Baptist's expectation and the reality of what he has been experiencing in his own life and with Jesus. Now remember, if we go back to Matthew chapter 3, we're going to find John's expectation. So come with me back to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one who has spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. 
I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, John the Baptist had been experiencing <coughs> over the course of his ministry ever-increasing um, popularity and fame. People were coming out in droves to him and they were listening to this word that he was proclaiming, this, this invitation to repentance, this call to come and, and, and this call of, I mean, really his, his invitation and his, his message was a message of judgment. The axe is going to be at the root. The fire is here. But when John asks this question, are you the one? At that point, he is in prison. Herod has imprisoned him. A couple of chapters from now, we're going to see, you know, it, it ends, doesn't end well. It ends with his beheading. And you hear this wistfulness, as it were, in his voice. Are you the one? Or should I expect someone else? Now look at what Jesus responds and says. Verse 4. Jesus replied to the disciples of John who came to him, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So the reality here is Jesus is fulfilling the prophetic words out of Isaiah 35. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago where it talks about in Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, then will the eyes of the blind be opened. The eyes of the, ear, of the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then in Isaiah chapter 61, verses, the first couple of verses, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, has sent me to bind up brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the very scripture that Jesus quotes in his first sermon when he quotes, and it's found for you in Luke 4, and what is so interesting is he ends his message there of Isaiah 61, the prophetic word, with those words, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Jubilee. So John the Baptist had this expectation, the axe is at the root, the fire is coming, and... Jesus, wherever Jesus is going, life is breaking out, jubilee, freedom is coming, but it isn't yet freedom from Roman imprisonment. It's not freedom from fully yet from sort of the entrenched Jewish hierarchy, which is holding people down and back. It isn't yet the fullness of what John was expecting and looking for. So he says, are you the one? And notice what Jesus says this is critical, people. 
You've got to follow along with me today in the scripture because that's where we're spending our time. Look at what he says in verse 6. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. So the question I hear echoing in my spirit this morning and the, and, the, and the question that I've been wrestling with in my own heart even this week in preparing this message for us today is this question that I think all of us wrestle with at one point or another when our expectation of what Jesus is or who he is or what he will do or all of those things is here and our reality is here, the question becomes, will we be offended? When it turns out that he's different than we expected him to be or he does things different than we expect him to do or he does them in different ways at different times in different seasons, right? Will we be offended? Will that cause us to stumble? John the Baptist is at a, at a critical moment in his growth and development, at a critical moment of discovery, he's at a very vulnerable moment sitting there in prison when it seems like, you know, I mean, I think that his expectation would have been, I don't know, I'm not there, I'm not in his mind, but I think the expectation was, here I am, I'm the forerunner, I'm going before Jesus, and there's going to be this ever-increasing glory, and if he's the Messiah, the soon and coming king, and he's here now, Things are soon going to get straightened out. Things are going to get hot pretty soon. And here I am, confined in this prison cell. Jesus, it doesn't make sense. The disciples went through the same thing, John 6. We're going to look at a little portion of John 6 later, but when Jesus gives his teaching about his flesh and his blood, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, and people misunderstand him, and all the crowds go away, and he looks at the disciples and says, are you going to leave me too? Let me be very straight here. There's going to come a point in all of our lives in walking with the Lord where we're going to have a choice whether we're going to be offended by him or not when it turns out that the Jesus who we've shaped in our mind doesn't fit because we have formed him in a way sometimes, you know, is the old word, you know, God created man in his own image and man, man has done the favor of doing the same. Creating God back in his own image. There's all kinds of things about Jesus that, you know, we, oh man, I like that, I like that. And then he comes along and he asks a question or he says something or he does something and we're like, wait a minute. That's not what I expected. Come on. Expectation and reality. The distance between the two is the measure of disappointment and discouragement and disillusionment and doubt. 
Jesus, I thought you told me to do this. Really? Things aren't working out like I thought they were. Right? Help us. This is hard stuff. This is hard for me to preach. This is hard for me. But, but I think we've got to wrestle with this. This is real Christianity. Okay? Jesus, all meek and mild, with a smile on his face and his long, flowing golden locks and blue eyes. And, uh... Yes, he's a good shepherd. Yes, he's tender. He's also with the whip in the temple and his, you know, I mean, he's, he's constantly upending the expectations of his disciples, of the Pharisees, of the Sadducees, of the scribes. He's upending everybody's expectations all the time. So he doesn't want us to form him. He wants us to form ourselves around him. All right, let's go on. Go to 7 to 15. Oh, it just gets, this is one of those messages. Stay with me till the end, okay? Please, hang in there. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Now listen to this. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? What are you looking for? Why did you go out there into the wilderness to look for John? What is it that you were, were you looking for a reed that would be swayed in the wind? Were you looking for somebody who would be dressed up and be respectable? Second Timothy 4, 3 to 4, sort of describes, I think, what the crowd, and we may, if we're, care- let's not just say it's those people, we can be part of the crowd. For the time when, will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. There's a great danger, there's always this great danger, that we will move into a sort of a, a, a cowering or caving posture. Be like those reeds waving in the wind. The, you know, we, we want to see, see the person that looks so respectable and so, you know, well put together who says what we want them to say. No, don't disturb me. Don't, don't, don't mess with my carefully constructed reality. Because the fact of the matter is, and I put myself first on this list, most of us 
simply don't really don't want to change. We seem saying some dangerous stuff today. Thank you, Peterson. Brenda said it. Consume me. Really? Is that what we really want? What did we go out? Did we go out to the desert looking for the latest, greatest, coolest thing? Is that what we went out into the desert looking for? Were we looking for the person who'd have the words to kind of put our life together and we'd have the, all we'd have, we'd have the seven keys and everything would be well. Right? You can have it all. Jesus will fit in nicely and comfortably into your well-constructed life. Ay, 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 ay. It's a good thing I've been here as long as I have been because I had to preach this 25 years ago. I don't know. I don't know if I could have preached it 25 years ago. Honestly. As I keep walking with the Lord, and my, my heart as your pastor is for us to keep growing up into all that God has for us. So what did you go out to see? Verse 9, a prophet. Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all of the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. He is the Elijah who was to come. Sermon points available. What is he referencing here? Who is Jesus referencing? What prophetic word is he referencing? Anybody without looking at the notes in the bottom of your Bible, what's he referencing? Anybody know? Malachi. Go back one book in your Bible from Matthew to the last book of the, New, of the Old Testament. Remember Malachi, the last one, and then there's 400 years of silence. But here's what Malachi said. Here was the last word that was given in the Old Testament. First of all, I'm going to read the first six verses, first five verses, I'm sorry, of chapter 3, and then the six verses of chapter 4. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings and righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by as in former years. So I'm going to come and I'm going to put you on trial and I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widow and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 4. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire. 
says the Lord Almighty, not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. John the Baptist coming like Elijah of old, the messenger of the Lord who has come to refine us and when his fire does come and he will come and this is the word that John the Baptist brought and Jesus is not negating his word. Let me be very clear. Jesus does not negate what John came preaching in Matthew chapter 3. When the fire of God comes, he will purify that which cannot be destroyed and will destroy that which cannot be purified. He will purify that which cannot be destroyed and destroy that which cannot be purified. So if you came looking for a God who was going to tell you exactly what you wanted to hear, if you came looking for a messenger and a prophet, who would be like a weed in the, in the wilderness, waving back and forth, who was dressed up in respectability, you've come looking at the wrong place. Because the messenger who is coming is preparing the way of the Lord, who is taking high places and bringing them down, low places and bringing them up, crooked places and making them straight, rough places and making them smooth, to prepare the way of the Lord. You okay? Been hard. But here's that expectation and reality. And so, so instead of trying to get reality to form itself around our expectations, perhaps we need to reframe our expectations around reality. As C.S. Lewis puts it in, the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is safe, but he isn't tame. So the question is, will you hear? I love this. Can anybody tell me more sermon points available this morning? Lots of sermon points available. All right. Where he says here, whoever has ears, let him hear. Where does, what does that sound like? Anybody else? Where else is that said? Revelation. To the words to the seven churches. Will you hear? To him who has an ear, let him hear. Listen up. All right. Let's bring it home. Verse 16 to 24. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of the miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethesda. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Verse 25. 
in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For the miracles were performed in you, had been performed in Sodom. It would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. What are you like? What are you like? To what can I compare this generation? Now, Here's Jesus' expectation. Come to John chapter 6. We're almost done. Hang with me just a couple more moments. John 6. Don't tune out now. Just hang in there. A couple more moments. John 6, 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For, the, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, say everyone, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus' expectation, his desire, his longing is that all of us will look to him and find eternal life. As the bread of life, the living water, he is there, he is provided. But he says the crowd, the reality of the crowd is like Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible is so very real. He said, go and tell this people. Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their eyes dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So instead of turning, they see but they don't see. They hear but they don't listen. They see but they don't perceive. They hear but they don't listen. That can be true of you and I. We can see and not perceive. We can hear but not truly listen. But the heart of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus is will we be wise and repent? Wisdom is known by her deeds. And this is the will of God for your life. That you would believe on me, Jesus says, and the one who sent me. This is God's will. This is the work of God, actually. This is the work of God. This is his will for us. This is wisdom. Wisdom is turning to him. And receiving the bread of life. Which brings us to our final part of this scripture. Which Pastor Dave Spooner is going to unpack more next week from another perspective. But I, I can't end the message without us. Because it's, it's part of, of, of Jesus's dialogue here so so we need to see it in this context at that time verse 25 look with me this is the last scripture at that time jesus said i praise you father lord of heaven and earth because you've hidden these things for the wise and learned and revealed to little children yes father this is what you were pleased to do come to me like a child it says in the scripture jesus said all things have been committed to me by my father no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, 
All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you come to me? This is Jesus' invitation today. Will you come to me? You've been laboring around in all of these expectations and things are not working out the way you thought they would and Jesus isn't quite showing up or revealing himself in the way that you thought he would and, and all kinds of things and you're weary and you're heavy laden and you've been working hard at it and he says, come and I'm going to give you rest. My yoke will fit you. My burden is good for you. Learn from me. Learn from me. It came up this morning in prayer. Pastor Tom was praying it, and, and it, was, it was the very scripture that also on my heart this week for the close of this message. In the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3, 14. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of mouth. You say I'm rich and I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can put on, off your, cover your shame, nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He's standing at the door. He's knocking. He's saying, come on, come to me. I know that our expectations have been one thing. The reality has often been something else. Are you offended? Are you discouraged and disappointed? Maybe doubting and maybe disillusioned. Maybe he's said some hard things that are hard to hear. And he wanted something that echoed back in your ears what you already thought. But he's, his thoughts and his ways are different. It's been hard to hear them. And he's come along and he's played the dirge of, 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 of judgment and he's play, played the, the joyful melody of, of, of the of the bride and the bridegroom, and, and, and neither one have moved your heart. But this morning he says, come to me. I want to give you life. I want to give you life. I want to be your bread. I want to be your water. I want to be your sustenance and everything that you need. Learn from me. I just think right now, I don't even want us to forgive me, worship team, for a moment, but I think I just, just got to sit with this for a minute. Just got to sit with it for a minute. 
the Lord is speaking something to you tonight, today out of this, out of these questions. And you just want to join me at this altar. I just invite you to come to him, not to me. Come to Jesus. Maybe reality hasn't quite fit with your expectations. Maybe you went out looking for one thing and he's spoken something different than what you expected. Come to me. Learn. Take my yoke. Take my burden today. I'm not going to hold this super long, I know. But will you respond? Will you come? Will you turn? Today. That real deep place of surrender and submission. You sang about it earlier, consuming. Will you offer your life as a living sacrifice? Say yes, Lord. Do you want to go away too? Jesus said to the disciples. He said, who else do we have to go to? Where else can we turn? Who else has the words of eternal life? We've got nowhere else to go. No one to turn to but you. Blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me, Jesus said. We're in a marathon, people. It's a long race. This is not a sprint. Lord, help us not to stumble when we come up against those impediments that might trip us up.
Help us, Lord, when we've been doing it right. Quote, unquote, and yet we're not seeing, perceiving clearly. Jesus, have mercy. You know who we are. You know, you know all about us. There's like, it's not like any mystery. You're not scratching your head saying, oh, I can't figure out that one. You know us so well. And you love us so passionately. Too much to leave us the way we and respond with one one song then I'll give a benediction you can just stay seated stay kneeling at the altar you can still come it's just the words of this just wash over your soul. This caused me to remember a situation in the Bible. In Luke 24, there were two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they were talking with each other about their disillusionment and their disappointment and their expectations. So they're talking about this. And verse 16, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Right in their disappointment, right in their not understanding, Jesus was walking with them. Their conversation has a line where they said, but we were hoping. They didn't know that hope was already fulfilled. They just were missing it. They weren't seeing it. So I just want to encourage you, what you're going through doesn't mean it's not happening. You're just not seeing it. So we can continue to ask, Jesus, help us to see. He's there. He's with you. He's right alongside you. Ask him to help you see. Hallelujah. Just where you're seated, if you just open your hands. Jesus. As you've been telling me for weeks and I've been sharing with us here, You are hollowing out a place in us for your name to be hallowed. And Jesus, it hurts. And it's hard to face reality sometimes. It's hard to face our doubts and our discouragements and our disappointments and our disillusionments. None of those things are too hard for you. And you do walk with us. Thank you. What else would we do? We got nowhere else to go. Jesus, help us. Help us. And so now I pray, as I do each week, 
that this very day, you may be filled afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home. I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life. Go in the grace and goodness of God in Jesus' name. Amen.